Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Beach Grove, Indiana, friend of the show, it is Mike Chappell joining us. What did you think overall about the press conference that you witnessed yesterday? I remember back uh, when Ursay was on the on on the preseason game at third quarter. He, he mentioned that you know he's looking for Chris. <laughs> Cleaned up the calm mess. The, calm, yep. calm the waters. Yes, calm the waters. And, yeah, and, and and that's what that was. He was trying to you, they 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 hit the pause button on this Taylor thing for the next month because of pup. Although you know they can trade him tomorrow, don't don't think that the trade deadline that they imposed means anything. It was self-imposed for reasons. It, it was trying to, to to keep things as calm as possible when it's really hard to do because th- this is this is one of your top gosh two players here, Buckner. I mean, take your pick, and he don't want to be here. He's made it very clear. So you're, he's trying. Chris was trying to sort of tell us what he could, background and all that stuff. But at the same time, not really stirring things up. I and mean, he succeeded at that. Yeah. Well, I thought the same thing after yesterday too. I, all right. They set a price tag so incredibly high. They knew nobody was going to take that. And there was a reason behind it, right? They really didn't want to trade him at all. That's why the price tag was as such. And that's why we hear rumors about what they were asking for, because they knew ultimately nobody was going to accept that. Right? Pro- pro- probably, yes. I mean, I, I, if somebody really wanted him, giving, giving up a two for a player of that caliber, to me, wouldn't be outlandish. I always thought that the, the the stumbling point would be someone willing to give him three years and I don't know forty million. I, I thought that would be the the sticking point. And if I if I'm Miami or Green Bay and I'm calling the Colts about Taylor, I had to at least have in my mind what it would cost to get him. I mean, I mean, as far as contract wise. But I was told they didn't get a one. They didn't get a two. And as Ballard told us yesterday, we weren't going to let him walk out the door. You know, it, it sounds awful, and teams and players get really – the fans and, and players get really upset when you talk about it, but players are, 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 are commodities. Yes, we get to know these guys and personalities and all this. They are commodities for the team, and they were, they were not going to let – they're just not going to dump one of their biggest assets. Uh, they're, 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 at least for now – willing to, to deal with wherever they are, which is nowhere. I mean, we're no further along now than we were Monday. So they're just not going to let a, a quality player uh, walk out the door, and I, I can understand that. You know, ultimately the organization moves on and survives, but I, I am kind of interested to ask you this question. Um, who, who gets damaged 
the most out of this. And while, again, I understand that there's always yeah, going to be, you know, that lean organizationally because they're always going to survive it. But, you know, in terms of, I know how Chris asked, asked, answered the question yesterday that was asked, you know, regarding, you know, the impact on the rookie quarterback. But, I mean, don't they take a hit? As much as Jonathan Taylor is taking a hit right now, considering they're on the field circumstances that are about to occur? Well, in that case, I'd say number one is Taylor. Because not playing does not help your value. It just doesn't. But I thought, and I think KB is the one that asked the question about, you know, does not having Taylor, you know, impede the progress of your quarterback? And I thought Chris was going to go there, and then he, and then he didn't. Uh, he sort of said, "Hey, we're working through that, and you, you know, we we'll go on and all this stuff." And of course, it does. I mean, you're ta- you're ta- the, the fact that you want a first round draft before him tells me t- tells everyone what what how they value this guy. And again, the fact that they didn't just dump him, which I thought might have been a possibility, just get him out of the building, get him want to be here, we'll move on. They value him, and, and they know Chris knows he's a football guy. He knows what you know. Let's go back to. 2021 and, and this kid was 60 yard touchdowns every every week so you know i so they know they know but they did i mean chris couldn't have told kb and the rest of us well you know yeah we really we really screwed we're really gonna suck kid. this year because of that yeah you can't <laughs> do that and then, and then that's what, what's that saying to the rest of your yeah. the running backs and all this so he said what he had to say but he knows and everyone knows that not having taylor takes a major catalyst and, and playmaker out of your offense and of course it's gonna hurt of course it is i given this situation um I, i'm curious in the past we have noted this many times that all chris ballard has had to do all a coach maybe would have to do i mean hell they talked the owner into carson stinking wentz they talked the oh, owner yeah. after 90 minutes of watching tape on matt ryan that he wasn't done and it took us like one series in week one to learn that he was done so you know they've been able to to talk the owner into situations where he says okay let's go this direction um do you think that this is more jim say owner driven this line in the sand they have created with jonathan taylor more so than chris and more so than shane that's a really good question. I, I, I don't know. I, I, we, we've seen in the past that if the owner wants something done, it gets done. Remember when they couldn't get T.Y. signed? Exactly. And the owner said, yeah, hey, exactly. Here's, here's some more money. More. Yeah. So I, I've wondered, and we're never going to get the answer to it because we're not. But what has been Shane Steichen's influence on all this? You know, he, he is the new set of eyes on everybody. You know, all, all the players, primarily offensively, because you still got Gus Bradley, but but he's the one that's reevaluating everything that they've got here. Maybe he thinks some of these players are pretty good, and maybe some he may look at Taylor and say, "Yeah, really good player, but we can scheme, we can do something with a lesser player." Well, we're going to find out. But yeah, I, again, the more Chris talked about why they haven't done it, and he was asked two or three times, you know, you know, and the names come up to you. Shaq Leonard and Quentin and Grover and Braden Smith and Naheem Hines and Ryan Kelly. And and not now. This is a guy that you've drawn the line on the sand at. And he makes he makes valid points. You know, I think the, he, he said, I think James Boyd asked him about that and about not paying a star player. He says, we won four games. We won four games. Well, 
that's you know I I know there's more to it than that because if that's the case, what if they win four games this year? You're not going to resign anybody. So, but but, it, but it's but it's all it, it's so much more. It, again, I, I think I, I'm not dismissing the fact. That no, I I, th- I think this is led by Jim. I think it's led by Jim. Yeah, you might be right. I don't know. I I, I think Steichen's got a big hand in it, and now uh, not enough to say, hey, we need to sign this guy. I don't think so. But I, see, I, I can't get on board with people saying that Ursay is, is making certain not to reset the running back market for the rest of the league. I just don't think in this instance that's valid. I don't think Jonathan Taylor is trying to reset the running back market for everybody else. He wants his, and he should. This is you get yours while you can because if you don't, before long they move on. You know, ask Delvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott. So you might be right. I don't know, but somebody. The, the bottom line is somebody has to blink, and it's. I don't think it's going to be the team. At some point, we, we we kept trying to go back and forth in the media room yesterday about about this, and you know, if he stays on pup all season, he gets paid in his contract holes. That means we're back here next year. So when the time comes that he can practice off a of pup, he needs to be on the active roster, I believe I've got it right, for six games. Yeah, you're right. So, so, so without that, then, then here we are again. So the next step has to be him practicing. It just does. Hey, Mike, in the uh, net, where where are we? Yeah, in, in the incredible movie Caddyshack, um, Roddy Dangerfield was teeing off in that that game in which had uh, big time monetary bets made on it, and uh, he his drive hit the ball wash and then came back and hit him in the arm, and then he shook his yeah. arm and says, "Oh, my arm is broken." That was best to benefit yeah. his situation. You had in your article day before yesterday that according. To sources that the Colts believe Jonathan Taylor is holding in right now. Thus, and I've talked about this with you in the past. I, I don't think, I think if, for example, I think that if he got what he wanted out of this right now, that he would be practicing tomorrow, meaning this ankle is not, you know, the big deal that Chris Ballard made it out to be yesterday. Would you agree? Well, yeah, he, a, a big deal. Well, I, th- I, thought, I thought Chris was very, very careful with how he answered the question. He said, Jonathan Taylor is still complaining about pain in his ankle. Right. That, that's different from saying the ankle's injured. It, it, I know we're, we're we're parsing words here. Yeah, I was told that they the, the the team thought he should have felt he should have passed the physical in July when camp opened. Yep. So that, that's why I say it, it, it's it, the, the 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 next you know the big deadline's October thirty first, the trade deadline, but. As a lot of guys have pointed out, and James Boyd's kind of gotten a, a crash course on the CBA, but he's he's got to when that window opens that he can practice on pup. Then he, you know, he's either got to be activated, or I, I just can't see this team quietly letting him stay on pup. I just I just can't see Taylor getting four point three million dollars without playing. I I mean he will. But I don't know that the team's going to do that. So I can I can just envision that day in four or five or six weeks where the team says we think you're ready. He says no, I still have pain in my ankle, and then it, it, it hits the fan. Then you can talk to Venturi tomorrow about Eric Dickerson because that's sort of what happened. Although Dickerson had passed his physical, but it, it's really it really gets if we, if we think it's nasty now, 
wait until you have a team challenging a player openly, yeah. challenging a, a player who says he's not he, he's not ready to play. That's when it re- that's when you get other people involved, the union and all this. That's when it goes to DefCon one. Yeah, I, I I look at it and and I've talked about this for a, a number of weeks now because you, you go all the way back and. You know, part of the waters, part of the reasons why the waters were were not calm was because you go all the way back to Jim on Pat McAfee saying that Jonathan Taylor's healed up. So yep. that's that's kind of what we're looking at right now. There have been a lot you of see, stories. That, that's what the team, that's yeah. what the team believed. That the is, team was yeah. convinced of that. It was, yeah. And then I, this this is, to me is is nothing but a, a ploy to make sure you get paid, and then you end up buying yourself a little bit more time. Either both sides do in this particular case. Hey, Mike, is it? This easy to manipulate, to put yourself on on PUP, and is this also about the Colts not pressing the issue regarding why you're there? I mean, how does how does this all work? Let's say, for example, you and I in our beliefs are accurate. How does this work so easily to manipulate PUP in this fashion? Because they're not willing right now to go to to that next level. Yeah. Remember when was it? two or three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when, when he Taylor decided to rehab away from the team, the, I, the team I'm sure could have said, no, you're not. You're saying you keep your rear end right here. But they they didn't choose to come back at him and then miss the next week for personal reasons, which they excused. But I said at the time, I can't think of the last time a team allowed a player to leave and rehab. I mean, what's that saying? That, that's a slap in your face at, at your rehab and your medical staff. But they didn't do that. And but at some point they're gonna, at some point they're going to have to say no. We, we, you know, we're we're going to call BS on this. We we think you're ready. And and that's that's when. So, so yeah, I think to some extent they're allowing. I guess allowing is the right word. Him him to drive the ship right now. But at some point, that's not going to be the case, and, and enough will be enough. And again, it's, it, I thought Chris was very, very careful with how he answered those things. I'm not going to put a, put a player out there who's not 100 percent and this, that, and the other. And I, I, I just think they're they're not. You know, again, he was trying to calm things down. He was trying to have a ceasefire, sort of. Uh, but after four or five weeks, it, 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 they really can't. Unless they're willing to let a player stay on pup all season, and then because of the CBA, we're here. We are again next league year, and forget the forget the franchise tag. He's under his contract again. This fourth year tolls, and, and here we are again. So I, that's why it's really. I think again, like 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 we talked about, and you mentioned. I, I think they're not willing. They're not ready. They're willing. They can do whatever they want. But they're 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 not to the point where they're gonna really the line in sand is is okay, guy. Here's where we are. You play or we're suspending you. And, and if, if they would suspend him and if it gets upheld, that's without pay. Again, when when Venturi did that with uh, Dickerson, it was a four game suspension because he refused to practice. He refused to practice, and Rick said, hey, "Screw you." And they spent him four games. It was appealed, and the league, I believe, upheld three weeks of it. He had to, he he missed three three game checks. So that and and that's when that's when it, it's funny. I was talking on our, our podcast today on Fox Fifty Nine, and it, it for whatever reason, what flashed in my mind was the movie War of the Roses. You probably you probably saw it. Oh yeah, Michael, Michael Douglas, Douglas and, and Kathleen Turner. Yeah, 
and handed it in. They're both dead on the floor, <laughs> you know, under a, on a chandelier. Uh, I, I don't know that this this relationship is, is that to that level, but I just don't see until somebody steps forward and says, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna compromise." I don't know how you do that. I mean, have we seen any indication from from JT that he's willing to say, "You know, I." I, okay, I, I I made my case. I, I stated what I wanted. It didn't ha- it didn't work. So I'll come in and be the good soldier that you guys want. I just I just have a hard time seeing him do that. And there's no concession from the team other than giving him more money. So I, I it, this has got to be on him. At some point, does he say something? I don't know. I wish he would. There's nothing preventing him. I mean, we've talked about well, players on pup. No, a player, a player could walk over to the media and say anything he wants. I mean, it's in general we don't get guys on pup. We didn't get Shaq last year when he was on pup. But I, I, unless I'm wildly mistaken, there's nothing keeping a player. The team, the team is not keeping JT from talking to us. It's not. I don't think there's anything preventing. Wednesday when we got to the complex to, for that Wednesday before the game, him walking in and say, okay, what do you guys want to know? I, I, I don't, I, I'd like that because failing his side of this, we're getting sort of one side, which isn't fair to him. But until I, I think he could talk. I think it would be nice if he would talk. I don't know what he could say. Well, he, he, he could explain what he's doing. He could explain his side as opposed to getting it secondhand from the agent. Have you heard, is there anything else that maybe – Deeply rooted that we're not talking about some other situation that has has occurred, you know, either over the course of, of the summer, you know, maybe back in the late spring, going back to last year. Because you see all sorts of wild rumors. I mean, there's one floating around out there the last year that, you know, he was he was kind of, hey, pushed into playing when he was still injured, something like that. And, and I haven't heard that. I'm just kind of asking you. Is there another kind of tipping point to a reason as to why we find ourselves where we are right now with this? Well, and again, we're speculating, but in my mind, again, remember we talked to him and when, or when off season uh, opened up, and that, that's when he was sort of, "Hey, I want to be here. I'd like an extension, but you know, I, I signed a four year deal. I put pen to paper. It's my obligation to them." And, and then, sometime after that, however, shortly after that, two or three weeks, that's in my mind, and, and I've sort of been told that that's when they told him, "Well, you know, no, no extension." And I think that's the flash point. The flash point is him being told face-to-face there would not be an extension. We'll talk about it when the season's over. Well, I think to some level, a big level, he felt betrayed. I really do. Uh, I don't know that the team ever told him he would get an extension. I think there were certainly indications that that was going to happen. I mean, we wrote it, and, and they talked very very optimistically about you know, because of their track record of, of, of Shaq Leonard and Quentin and Ryan Kelly and Grover and all those guys getting it at this point in their career. But I, I, I really believe he felt betrayed that, boy, you're going to make an example out of me. Remember, again, when, when Jimmy talked in July, it was, you know, no, organ, no organization takes care of their players better than me. And 95% of the time, he's right. Well, here you got JT standing over here saying, wait a minute, wait a yeah, minute. Why, and why would they draw a line in the sand with him in this situation? 
I mean, because you're right. What Chris mentioned about about Leonard, what Chris mentioned yesterday about Nelson, you know, that's fine. But this is such a different and more magnified and important situation. There has to be something else going on here as to why they decided well, but, to go ahead and make their stand here. But that, that, but but again, and, and to some degree, I I what Chris is selling. This is being a unique situation because again, you've got the injury. You can make of that what you will. You've got a four win team. And you've got a new coach coming in who who probably maybe he says, hey, let's just sort of step back, let's take a good look at this roster before we invest thirteen million, twenty million guaranteed in a running back. So I, I think it's, I, I think this is the perfect storm that's kind of overwhelmed Taylor because everything everything works. Yes, he's twenty four and a league rushing champ two years ago. Everything else is working against him, and I sort of don't really buy into the devalued running back market because I'm telling you, if the Colts wanted to sign him, they'd sign him. They would say, yeah, you know, they wouldn't worry about, well, you guys are going against the grain and you're paying a running back when nobody's paying them. They would do what they want to do. I think it's just all these things together. That And, again, I understand Taylor wanting top-of-the-market value. He does. But, but but he's telling everybody he's hurt. That that's a tough combination. Although, again, it, it, there's no way in the world that Miami or Green Bay or any team would have contacted the Colts on on a trade to feel, at least feel them out at whatever, unless they had some assurance from somebody, probably the agent, that okay, get this done and and he'll be okay. They had. You're just not going to look into this if there's any concern that this was an injury that really is going to make him miss time. So I, I, it's just all these situations working against him. And as I always say, the, the team's got the biggest hammer. They and they don't always like to use it because it it, can't, it, it does leave scars. It really does. But sometimes you have to. And, and this is a case. I just. I if somebody can tell me how the Colts can compromise without it including money. See, I'd, I'd still pay Taylor today. I'd, I'd give him his three years, and $40 million might be stretched. I'd give him the Nick Chubb deal, three years, 36, whatever it was. And you're not talking a 10-year investment. You're talking what would really be like a two-year investment in this player. But they've chosen not to, and, and uh, I'll take him at their word that it's all these things working against him. And oh, by the way, he says he's hurt. So you know, it, it's it, 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 in one frame, it, it, the player can't have it both ways. I want to be paid to the top of the market, but I'm hurt. Well, you can't have it both ways. It's at my chapel of CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Somebody asked me this yesterday, and maybe I'm biased because back in 2012, we know the outcome. They won 11 games. It was a surprisingly successful season. Right. Um, Andrew Luck's first, great. Maybe I'm biased, but I think that that roster is better than this. I've gotten uh, received a great deal of pushback regarding it. No, it's not. This roster is a lot better than the one in 2012. That was garbage. Yeah, what do you think? You compare this roster to the one back in Luck's rookie season. Which one's better? That one, 12. <laughs> I've said the same thing. And yeah. I'm not sure if it's close. I said the same yeah, thing. Part of, that, part of that part of that is the quarterback. And, and uh, Andrew Luck was was he, he was that good. He had like was it eight eight fourth quarter comebacks and he, he was that good, but you've got you had Vic Ballard, who would be the star of this running back room right now, 
the tight ends. T.Y. You had Reggie. So that Anthony Costanzo. Yeah, that that was a pretty good team. Uh, that overachieved. They set all sorts of NFL rookie records for games started and, and yards offensively and touchdowns and all that. And we don't see that here. And again, it it it, it works against the team. When you know how many times has Jim Irsay mentioned? You know, well, when Peyton was a rookie, he had Marshall Falk. Well, now you're taking away this kid's Marshall Falk. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that team was better. I I'm not crazy about this roster. I think there are some hot points that concern me. You know, if you lose, or if you lose this player, if you lose that player, there, there's there's an unusual drop off from this guy. To his back, I and mean, that's not always been the case with Chris Ballard's roster. There, there have been deficiencies. Maybe you know the the, the premier left tackle, the premier pass rusher, even quarterback. But the, the 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 quality of the depth was never really in question. And now they're they're looking to have not one or two, but you know a half a dozen or eight guys really really do more than what they normally would do, like rookies and all this stuff. So. Yeah, I I wouldn't have a bit of a problem at all arguing that 2012 was a better team, so, really. And, I, and like I said, I don't think it's close. I so really you have to go back how far in covering this team to find a roster, in your opinion, that's worse than this one? Chris's first year, <laughs> when, he, when he really reset things. Uh, that's why it's, it's it's I'm a little surprised. And we'll see how things shake out, but they're not going to add any major players now. I mean, there's no major players to add. I'm talking guys that can step in and say, okay, this guy, this guy's an upgrade here. You know, we just saw, we saw the three waiver wire guys that they claimed guys that are promising, but not that three year starter because people don't wave. People don't get rid of good offensive linemen. They just don't look around the league. The Colts aren't the only team that with offensive line issues. And I like the five starters here. I can live with that. I think they'll, I, I think, we were talking on a podcast. The biggest plus of all training camp in my mind was nobody noticed Bernard Ryman. I mean, I, I, I thought he played really, really well, and I thought that's for, I'm very encouraged by that. But I just, I, I just don't like some of you know four receivers, and you know, I, I, I realize you got guys on the practice squad, but I, I just don't like the depth, the, 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 the quality depth. And if you lose a player or two, it's kind of funny that the one position they're most suited to lose their starter probably is quarterback, because Minshew has 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 played at a <laughs> at a winning level at time to time. That'd be a disaster, but, though. Yeah. Well, I, I know, I understand, <laughs> but I'm saying that that's the one backup. I'm no, I got you. About. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right about that. That you'd feel comfortable in would be that of, of quarterback. Before I let you go, um, Jelani Woods has been hamstring injury wise shrouded in a great deal of mystery. Why? I have my opinions. Do you? Not really. I know. I think it was erroneously reported that he had a torn hamstring, uh, but I think Joel Erickson mentioned that like all hamstrings are torn to some level it's that that's it just depends on what the degree is but that thing's been pestering him all training camp uh so no i don't have any secrets to it it's it's obvious they need to shut him down for a month or more uh because he, it's just not getting any better 
uh, that's a concern because Drew Ogletree had trouble with, I think, early on a hamstring and then a shoulder. So they just again, that, that's one where you, you start losing people before the season starts, and that's never a good thing. No, no, it's not. So, and, and especially the situation. I mean, you look at it, what the Eagles were, for example, a year ago, and you know, you, you know that there's going to be a tight end role uh, that's much like what we saw in Dallas Goddard, for example, um, right. with a level of success, and that seems like that that would have been him. And you, you think did that ultimately save Mo Alley Cox from being released? You think? Good question. A good question because I, I know they didn't want to risk putting Will Mallory out there and carry only four and, hey, we'll bring Mallory back for the practice squad because he, w- he wouldn't have played waivers. You know, that's kind of what they did probably with Darius Rush. I assume they would have brought him back to the practice squad, but, you know, Kansas City picked him up real quick. So, yeah, it, it's uh, – Mo. I don't know. We'll see. It, it, I think the issue with Mo, and I, I, I don't want, mean to be critical, I think we've seen the best of Mo. I think we've seen his ceiling. Yeah. Which is fine because he can't, you know, he's a power forward for crying out loud. But I think we've seen the best of him. And right now, he's, he is that blocking tight end because I don't know that the other guys, you can, I guess, Ogre a little bit. He's got the size, but that's not Kyle Ky- and Grant's, and that's, that's not Will Mallory. And, you know, so that's, Mo's got to be shooting. Maybe he's your backup left tackle. I don't know. Hey, in, in closing, but, uh, too, I'll give you a scary exercise to do over Labor Day weekend. Uh, examine this roster and then tell me um, anybody out there that, that you believe um, hasn't already played their best football. I mean, it's tough to find. It's it's tough to find guys. It's tough to find guys that you believe can, even if they've been here in the past or they're relatively new how far they can raise this bar up that'd be they better get more they need to get more from alec pierce yeah they need to get more yep. from from michael Pittman. uh so yeah I, I but i get i get your point yeah i, I mean oh, well i'd say nelson kelly smith i, I mean uh, these guys are going to be so essential with that lack of depth they had on the offensive line and i uh, yeah. you, you got guys in the secondary you just uh, kenny moore who had a bad season a year ago look what you're going to look at for him yeah i just um yeah lot. All right. Hey, I'll, I'll let you go. I've kept you long enough. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Listen tomorrow because I'm going to do as little as possible. Well, Rick's going to be on with me for about an hour tomorrow. We're going to have a good time, is so make sure you listen. Is that, is that that bend at 69 where it's Pendleton yes. and they got that? Yes. Yeah. The, the, I, the little pond. And all. I, I, go, I used to go by there all the time going up there to Anderson to see the kids. They so like I, to I reference that as, as, a, as lakes. Yes. <laughs> It's a big pond. <laughs> but a lot of cabins are going to have a good time up there. So uh, give why us. Don't you get one, why don't you just get your cabin and stay up there all weekend? Oh, I am going to be up there. That's why I've called this the Labor Day weekend bender. So, yes. Are you, are you taking your pa- your bamboo pole and do some fishing? No. Uh, no. I'm taking I'm taking a big pillow. I'm taking a big pillow was what I'm taking. A big pillow. So I'll I'm probably just gonna go to sleep. Go to sleep where I where I am. The image of you sitting there with your bamboo pole and a beer and you know, your your little straw hat. That, I I'd pay for that. Oh, buddy, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. See ya. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from the Indianapolis Star. He covers the Colts. Nate Atkins, he does join us. Uh, most compelling moment, if there, I guess, was one yesterday from covering the press conference involving Colts general manager Chris Ballard. What was it for you? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to, to digest there. I would have to say uh, just kind of his his recognition that this has been pretty miserable on everybody, I think was interesting uh, because up until this point, you know, we're judging the body language every day at training camp. It certainly doesn't look at all good from Jonathan Taylor's point of view. You know, he's he's there, but he's, he's disengaged. He's not a smiling self. But everyone else around it tried their very best to just sort of ignore uh, the elephant in the room or the ghost in clothes, I would say. And Shane Second would pass it off, and other guys would, be, you know, you'd probably talk more about Anthony Richardson, the excitement. Um, in, in, in Jonathan Taylor was just such a taboo topic that it was almost like, let's just not talk about it, and maybe we just won't have to address it. And, you know, Chris Ballard chose to come right out at, in his opening statement and, and not only bring it up, but go as far as to say, you know, this sucks for us, for the Colts, for Jonathan, for the fans. And it was real about how it's taken away from. Uh, the excitement around Anthony Richardson and Bernard Ryman and the young players on this team and Shane Steichen. And I just thought it was a good moment of reality because what often happens in this league, or in kind of all levels of football, is people in charge very much are trying to eliminate distractions, even if it means sort of ignoring realities sometimes and acting like something's not a big deal publicly when it's a huge deal privately. And so kind of for Chris Bauer to come out and say that I thought was good to level with the fans, but also just a sign of how frustrated he is by this, that it's not only been an ordeal that's bothered him, you know, the past few months with, with all the twists and turns, but it's undone a lot of sort of the goodwill and and processes he's built here since he came here back in 2017, that for so long, these negotiations with players had been really a healthy environment and something he was very proud of. And this one is just really uh, kind of stressed him to the bone and, uh, especially when he acknowledges that there's not really a clear end in sight. He doesn't really know how he's going to fix it yet or was at least wasn't able to articulate that. You could just kind of feel the stress in a lot of his answers. Jim Marseille said in the broadcast booth, third quarter during the Bears game almost a couple of weeks ago that and this is paraphrasing that you know Chris Ballard was you know cleaning up the mess or something like that it felt like at the beginning of that presser yesterday was exactly what he was doing. At least trying to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are a lot of references throughout the presser from Chris Ballard about how Jonathan's a great person, great player. You know, he kept going back to an old line he said where you play, you pay great players regardless of position. To me, it was, you know, and of course that can sound opposed to some of the other things he said about why they're not doing it right now. But I think he's trying to create a situation where this can be fixed is that you could acknowledge that it's kind of got off the rails a little bit. People are upset. And, uh, and this is one of those situations, but he does think there's sort of a way to turn it around. And that's kind of been their message to Jonathan throughout this whole process, why they want him to kind of come back into the fold and, you know, have a big year in Shane seconds offense and, and with Anthony Richardson and try and get back to the player he was in 2021 when he won the rushing title and uh, show that he's, both healthy and durable and explosive and are trying to say like, we do believe that's in you. We just need you to kind of be willing to go out there and, and show it. And that's ultimately 
if they're not going to offer the contract that he wants and they're not going to trade him, which at this point they still could, and I think that's a possibility as we get close when he returns to the public or gets close. But right now, in their minds, that's not what they want to do because you know they're losing value with him losing four games. The team trading for him, if they don't like the offers now, are not going to get better you know, in four weeks from now. So the thing they need to have happen is eventually Jonathan Taylor has this change of heart where he says, you know what, even though I don't like what's going on here, the only thing I really can do is bet on myself and at least find joy in playing football and dominating on the field with them the way he did in 2021. So I feel like Chris is trying to at least extend this idea of like, hey, there still are rewards to be found out there, even if you can't see them right now. And we, we really believe in you so much. Uh, that that we believe you can go out and show it. It's just again, it's from from Jonathan's perspective. What's hard is he's still expecting action, and that's ultimately what's not come so far. Nate Atkins of the Star covers the Colts. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, it's been my point of view that he is definitely necessary offensively, um, even though the position to speak regarding running back is not necessarily at all viewed that particular way. Do you believe him to be as necessary for the quarterback situation and that growth moving forward as I do that apparently Chris Ballard does not? I think he's a huge part of trying to get Anthony Richardson settled in and uh, kind of the experience he needs to develop as a passer without crumbling in certain moments. So if they had a different type of team, I think you could talk about how the running back is not necessary. I don't think in a vacuum a running back necessarily has to be that for a rookie quarterback. Uh, but, uh, you know, a team, for, for example, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, as we brought up, they've been able to move on from Miles Sanders, uh, but they have five other pro bowlers in their offense. So if you have that kind of an offense with two dominant wide receivers that are forcing teams to play, two high safeties, a great offensive line. And you don't know how that's going to work out just yet either. That remains to be seen without a 1,200-yard-plus rusher. And that, Yeah, and that too. So that's still theoretical. But in this specific instance, I've, I've been out there every day at training camp, but this really came this really came in focus in Philadelphia when they went up against a more talented defense without Jonathan Taylor. I just don't know where the explosive plays are going to come from that often. Now, of course, we know Anthony Richardson – can, can scramble, extend a play, and launch the ball down the field. And I'm sure there will be moments where he's able to connect with Alec Pierce on a go route or, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. on a late scramble is able to make a contested play. That will happen sometimes. In the run game, though, it seems like it's going to fall all on Anthony Richardson's shoulders to be the explosive player. And what I'm seeing in Philadelphia, and granted, that's a defense that knows that offense very well, so they kind of knew how to force their hand in certain ways, but – you would just have multiple defensive ends converging on Anthony Richardson and forcing a handoff to a very open lane and then trusting their safeties to just step up and make a tackle within five yards, trusting that once it got into the red zone, the field would tighten down, the safeties would be closer to the line of scrimmage, and if they could force Anthony Richardson to pass, that's the part of the field that's most difficult for him right now because there's a lot of tight window throws, it's quick timing, it's uh, you need really good chemistry with your receivers. And I think I just think Jonathan is key to saving him from the number of times he has to play in the red zone by turning, you know, maybe a 20-yard blocked run into a 55-yard touchdown run and just kind of lifting the entire group. And if they can ease Anthony in that way, 
to me, it would be kind of like the Cowboys once did with Dak Prescott, who was a fourth-round pick and stepped in for Tony Romo, but they had Zeke Elliott. And that two-man game in the backfield, you know, produced a team that could win a division title. And all of a sudden, Dak Prescott is a very efficient thrower that year because very little – he was very rarely in these situations where he had to drop back and, and win when it was obvious he had to pass. So I think for this specific team, Jonathan Taylor is very, very valuable to – giving them a situation where not everything's going to fall on Anthony. And where I really think about this is in terms of Anthony's durability, because if it is a situation where defense is, you know, either he's handing off because defenses converge on him or, or they're just designing more runs for Anthony because he is the explosive threat they have, it's going to expose him to more risks and more hits. That's always going to be a risk in his profile, but he's gotten hurt at Florida. He's gotten hurt in high school when he's been in situations where he did not have quite enough around him. So I think trying to get as much around him right now as possible is the most important thing because if he's not out there on the field and at practice, he can't develop as a passer. Nate Atkins of the Star, uh, talking Colts, made some moves today. We'll get to those coming up in a minute. You believe that that Ballard and Steichen are on the same page of of what they believe they need from Jonathan Taylor or wish that they had him. I, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is here, you think all three, including the owner, are on the same page with this? Or is this a situation, even coming from Philly, and how you just described Miles Sanders and what they're trying to do in that flip now in Philly? You will find out if that works or not. But still, you, you need, and we saw that development in Philadelphia last year offensively, even with their weapons, they needed a running back that was a legitimate threat, even beyond their quarterback who rushed for 700 yards. But you think Steichen, would he rather have Taylor here, or is he okay with how there's been this significant line drawn in the sand here organizationally with Jonathan Taylor? Everybody, all those three on the same page, you think, with where this thing stands right now? Well, I think they would all want Jonathan to be out here, and if, if they didn't value him really at all, they would have at least traded him because they do recognize how much of a issue this is and a distraction this is and so there is this sort of acknowledgement that he is better than the backs they have obviously they could they can use him i think james Steichen would you know he always wants better players than, than rather than worse players uh so certainly there's this idea that he is valuable to a point i do think it's quite possible that you know these three talked jim Mersey, chris ballard and james Steichen talked throughout the spring about how to build out this team and i do think there's there's at least a moment where they raised questions about either the need for an elite running back or how much you're willing to pay that guy and commit right now. And I do think the thing they're in agreement on is just sort of the timeline of it is that they, they very much are trying to figure out kind of how quickly they can get Anthony Richardson and this Colts team in a competitive place to where you could start thinking about moves that, that, you know, that, that may not be absolutely necessary, but that are helpful luxury moves like signing a top tier running back. Are they close enough to want to do that? That's what teams at this trade or not the, the past couple of days had to ask themselves when trading with the Colts, are they a running back away to give up assets for Jonathan Taylor? So I think in that respect, they do. I do think there's an agreement that it's best to wait and just let things play out because this is a natural kind of big picture, longer term growth pattern with Anthony Richardson, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say who, who's kind of exactly pulling more weight on this. I do firmly believe that Chris Ballard has been in control of a lot of this. 
that this is there is some narrative nationally that this is just a Jim Irsay uh, idea to to not pay Jonathan Taylor, and certainly Jim Irsay has inserted himself in this and made it known how he feels that it's not the time to pay Jonathan Taylor. But I very much uh, my understanding is that Chris Ballard's been been very much at the control of this too because he's the one who sat down for three long meetings with Jonathan Taylor. And uh, in, in, it also goes to show that you know he has not extended anybody uh, since Shane Steichen came in. They've signed some players back who are free agents, but everything's been a little bit on a pause so that they could sort of evaluate this differently with a new coaching staff and just not kind of force some of the moves they made in the past. And I, I just think that's one thing that got lost yesterday. A lot of people are wrapped up in Chris Ballard's comment about you know, we won four games last year. I don't think what he's saying is we won four games, so we can't sign anybody until we're a good team. I think more what he's saying is we're going to do things a little differently right now because the path we took for years and years led us to four wins, and it's a natural time for change or at least being open to it and being more patient with it. So I think they're all kind of on the same page as far as the base approach to it, but I can also say I don't think any of those three uh, leaders thought that it would get anywhere near here, and it's it's hard to read kind of what what they believe they need to fix. The one thing we know is they didn't feel like it was time to trade him, so they're going to try and figure this out together right now. Uh, Nate, I'll start right there. I don't think in any way, shape, or form they had any plans of trading him because if you would have, you wouldn't have set the price tag so stratospherically high that nobody was going to touch it. I mean, they knew they weren't going to get any legitimate offers for a number one like that. And if you read, you know, some of these these subjects and rumors about, you know, what people were reporting, you know, they also asked for. I mean, that's all unrealistic stuff because they didn't ultimately, in my opinion, want to trade him. And I will also say this. If Chris Ballard has a new philosophy going into year seven, he should. There's no doubt about that because the first six years it has not worked uh, and especially went downhill in the past couple. So he should have a new philosophy. I just don't happen to think that with this running back and this quarterback right now, I mean, if you wanted to draw a line in the sand and you wanted to draw it, you know, at a left guard or you want to draw it at a linebacker or or whatever, that's reasonable. But I would not draw it right now on Jonathan Taylor, much like I wouldn't have drawn it on a wide receiver like Michael Pittman Jr. that you wanted to keep around. I just think that there, there are certain assets that you have that best benefit your team in that moment. And Taylor to this one, given this team's makeup offensively, is still one of those. And you could chalk it up to bad timing or whatever, but it still just makes no sense as to why you would not want to try to at least go a little further in making sure that this guy is a part of it. I mean, hell, especially this year. I mean, you're going to miss the first four games. At some point, he's got to play. But it just doesn't – drawing the line in the sand right now with him doesn't make a lot of sense, even if you do have a a not-so-subtle change in philosophies. that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And there was a moment in yesterday's presser that I keep thinking back to, and that's when uh, Chris Bowder was asked if he has regrets and how he's handled any of this with Jonathan. And Chris kind of took a pause, and he said that he thinks about this all the time. And he didn't come out and, and lay out any specific regrets. But I do think that looking back, I, you know, I I do think that there was a way for them to – they certainly could have handled this differently, as we've been through. I think both sides – could have handled it better. The reactions or communication uh, between the two parties has never been great. I mean, I, I think you can understand kind of how they both arrived at that point, just in a, a general level of 
you know, I, for, for example, I think if Chris's idea, if the Colts' idea, I should say, was that the best business approach was to have Jonathan play out the rookie year, and then they can look at you know, the franchise tag, which is only $10 million right now for running backs, if they could get him to play on that next year. And then, like, at some point, if, he, if he's able to maintain his levels or get back to 2021 levels, that maybe at some point in there they say, okay, well, we took the, the low-risk options that were available to us, and now that the tag's going up, you know, and he's, he's held up his end of the bargain, it's time to extend him. I think that patience in a business sense is very sound. The thing that I, I wonder if they regret is once they realized that Jonathan was kind of on to that, that he was afraid of that being the situation, that he didn't trust um, them to keep him healthy, and that all of a sudden the body was going to sort of become in, a, in some ways collateral as far as, uh, you know, Jonathan doesn't want to be on the field until he has some guarantees, and they want him back on the field before they offer those guarantees. I think they could have found a compromise back when they talked in May or June before, you know, Malki Kawa came into the fold and, and started tweeting the way he did before they met on a bus uh, at training camp and before, you know, we're at this point where we're going to start the season, he's going to miss four games. Yeah. I think there was always a way to sit down and talk through that specific fear about the franchise tag where if that was going to be such a holdup to where you're in doubt of whether you'll even get this guy or if he is just going to be a problem, that's when they could have found some kind of compromise. And ultimately, they have the money to do it. They've always had the money to do it. It's more that they were taking the tools available to them to not have to spend it, which is, again, smart business. But what's not the most sound business is being too, uh, too line in the sand on this to the point where you may not get any value out of the thing you were trying to sort of – it's almost like they overplayed a hand a little bit, or they're at least risking that. And I wonder if that's the thing they regret. Nate Atkins of the Stars with us. When you look at this offensive roster, the way that it stands, and I know that, that Ballard mentioned uh, multiple times yesterday, roster uh, mechanics, I guess. Is that what you said? Roster mechanics? Was that it? Yep, that yeah. was the phrase. Yeah, roster mechanics. We've heard it all around here, by the way, over the years. Roster mechanics is certainly not that new, but uh, somewhat fresh in itself. How, how do you look at this this offense, especially wide receiver? Um, it, it's weird to look at it that way uh, because there's another portion of this team that is very important to the development of your rookie, inexperienced quarterback. And to look at the depth chart right now is a bit startling. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they have four total wide receivers, and that's they got down to three for a minute till they brought Isaiah McKenzie back. So right now they can feel good, I think, about having a backup slot receiver, but there isn't anyone to back up on the outside spots. Now they do have guys they put on the practice squad like Juwan Winfrey and Mike Strawn, who've been here, that they feel like you know if they need to elevate them, they can do that. But yeah, looking out to 17 games of knowing you're going to have injuries in this league, uh, you know, it is it is a concern. That is a position where, you know, I think Michael Pittman Jr. should be expected to play 95% of the snaps when he's healthy. I think they feel good about at least the, the fit of the role of, you know, Alec Pierce and Josh Downs for what they're asking them to do. But it's it's like a lot of positions on this team where it's it's one thing to talk yourself into the starters it's another thing to acknowledge that you're going to have injuries. And I think about this with the offensive line as well, is that if you could tell me that those five guys will be out there for all 17 games and, and you believe they can play to their potential, I could see where you could talk yourself into this kind of being a bounce back year for them and, and that being a, a fine way to go. The problem is that 
a lot of this, if there's one injury, it could really start to unravel things. And I just, maybe there's not an easy solution to that. If Michael Pittman Jr. goes down, I don't, maybe they looked across the league and, and just at the options for the past few months and realized like, we don't have a great answer to that if that happens anyway. Uh, but certainly they're in a spot where uh, not making the waiver claims to address it makes you wonder, you know, just, just what, what they're going to do if they have some of these injuries. It seems like practice squad um, is going to be have, have to be the way that they roll. And uh, that's just kind of where it's, it's, it's likely to be a difficult year, not only because this team's young and has a rookie quarterback, but they just can't really afford injuries. And you just, you know, some of those are going to happen. They just have to hope and hope that they happen at the right spots. And there's a couple spots in this team where I think that that could work. You know, if, if, they have to bring in a backup, most in defense, backup defensive tackle or safety. I think they could be fine. But some of those positions, especially in offense, especially with Jonathan Taylor not out there, you had running back into that. Delaney Woods going on injured reserve. Tight end kind of moves into that. They definitely, uh, they definitely have to hope for really good health on offense for Anthony Richardson and all the positions around him. Uh, Zach Moss, I know Shane Steichen said today that he had hoped week one Zach Moss would return from that broken arm. What do you think? Yeah, that's been their hope since he broke it. It was sort of the timeline was going to put it in this range of where week one, week two, that was sort of the the area where they were hoping he could come back. Obviously, they were at that point, they, they still didn't know what the deal was with Jonathan Taylor. Now they know for sure Jonathan Taylor will not be there week one or two or three or four. So I don't know if that'll play into it. Um, they want to get him, they want to get him right, but yeah, the running back room's thin. They've got, uh, they've got three total on the active roster and Zach Moss is one of those and he's not healthy at the moment. So, you know, you look at the other two guys they have at that position, Deion Jackson last year showed he's a very solid receiver, uh, you know, but less so as a runner. I think Evan Hull, really showed in preseason that he, he's he's quite talented as a pass protector, and they did not have enough of that last year. That's going to be key for a rookie quarterback. So there are elements they can bring, but as far as that uh, kind of high-volume runner, uh, Zach Moss is the guy that they want to do that. He's the guy that showed it late last season. Uh, you know, he averaged you know close to five yards a carry. Um, the thing with him is he's not, he's not going to be the explosive back. He ran like a Four six forty, uh, so he's that's where we bring up Jonathan Taylor's explosiveness being something they are not going to be able to just manufacture. But Zach Moss is important in the sense that if they want to run the ball a lot and they want to hand the ball off, like defense converges on Anthony, they hand the ball off and want a running back to be consistent, and reliable, and you know, and make good decisions with the blocking that's there, the spacing that's there. Zach Moss is is definitely the one they trust the most. So uh, they're going to try to get him back week one but it is one of those where because they know Jonathan's out for four weeks and maybe longer than that what they really need to do is get Zach Moss right again because they've got to have running backs if they're going to run this system with Anthony uh no red jerseys for Shaquille Leonard and for EJ Speed today correct uh I wasn't at practice today that's what I heard I was out for a funeral ah, uh, okay that, no that problem is, sorry yeah. to hear that that's okay that's just um, leave it. Leave it up to me. Leave it up to me to ask the question. Would lead you to that answer. Well done. That's right out of my. That's that's right out of my playbook. <laughs> Sorry about that. Me going on the radio the day of it. It's okay. But uh, right, uh, Shaquille Leonard is making good progress though. That's okay. Uh, I noticed that from the other day. But but I know he didn't. I, I heard from others he did not 
he's not all the way through yet. So it's, okay. it's still a little bit, but they have they have a week or so to, to get it figured out. All right, we'll see you, uh, what is it, a uh, couple of weeks, a week from Sunday, I guess, a week from Sunday, we'll see you down there. So, yeah, in, the, in the press box for the first time when Jacksonville comes to town, of course, it's Nate Atkins of the Star. You can follow him on X and other social media platforms and uh, read his stuff at the Indianapolis Star. On the- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. More Automotive Group Hotline. Nate, have a fantastic weekend. Yep, we'll do. You too, and we'll, uh, we'll see you in a little over a week. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, big goings on in West Lafayette this weekend. And I'm not talking about rat playing uh, at a nightclub up there or anything like that that would really secure the attention of our next guest. But we're talking about Boilermaker football in action. Jeff Tedford and what has been over the years a very stylistic offense coming to town in Fresno State. And Tom Deanhart of Golden Black Illustrated joins us to talk about it. Tommy D, how you doing? Doing good, buddy. Yeah, 61-year-old Jeff Tedford versus... 37-year-old Ryan Walters. How about that? I described him as stylistic offensively over the years. Is that accurate? Yeah, this is a guy, I think he's coached, I want to say, five or six first-round draft choice quarterbacks. Uh, Kyle Bowler, of course, Aaron Rodgers uh, among them. Uh, I think you coached Joey Harrington as the offensive coordinator at Oregon. So this is a guy who knows offenses, developed a lot of signal callers. His guy last year, Jake Hayner, got picked by the Saints, and he's, he's breaking in a new kid this year, John, a transfer from Central Florida, Mikey Keene, 5 foot 11 kid. So, again, you know Tepper's going to be ready. Like I said, a very sage coach who's, who's really has a reputation for, for developing quarterbacks and, and running offenses. All right, so is the stadium done? Yeah, it's ready. You know, there's there's, there's going to be a few cosmetic things not ready. Sort of like if you're building a house, maybe all your doorknobs aren't on or all your uh, – Oh, you know, just, just sort of little details, but they're going to be able to host people, and uh, it's going to be nice. I was in there about a week or so ago, got a quick tour of it, and it's going to be very, very intriguing to see that place sold up with people and see how they sort of interact among all the uh, all the new uh, amenities there. <laughs> well, I can't wait for that, too. What do you expect to see from Fresno State? Again, um, you know, they're, they're, they're supposed to be very good on both lines. A lot of veterans back on both sides of the ball up front. I mentioned the new quarterback, a new running back. And, again, receivers, that's where they have most of their questions and on the offensive side of the ball. I know they've got two cornerbacks they like a lot, and their, their top tackle linebackers returning as well. So, And, John, it's funny. This is a team that started 1-4 last year and won their last nine games. So they're, they're going to bring a nine-game winning streak to West Lafayette. And, um uh, not that that really matters, but sort of a fun fact that extends from last year. So, again, uh, more of their questions are on offense. Uh, again, I, you know they've got to be well prepared. And, again, for Purdue, John, there's just a lot of unknowns on both sides of the ball with everything so new with the new staff and so many new players brought in from the portal, too. All right. Uh, yeah, you got a first-year head coach, but then you got an offensive coordinator that is known for getting it up and down the field at a rapid pace in Graham Harold, or Graham Harrell, I should say. What uh, What's your expectation um, as far as the offense? And, and I, I think we're both in the same category with Graham Harrell of, of this offense being well in front of the defense in this case, but, but how far and can it be enough 
to salt away some games if maybe that defense is not ready for prime time? Yeah, it may have to be. Um, I like the skill talent that they've got. Uh, I like Hudson Card, the quarterback from Texas. I like the three running backs led by Devin Mockaby and the two Indianapolis kids, of course, Tyrone Tracy and Dylan Downing. I think they got good enough receivers and tight ends, John. It's going it's to come down to the offensive line. And they've got some questions there. They may not have their left tackle. They could be playing their third-string center. So that, that's going to be the, the, the unit that really dictates if this offense can hit the ground running like a lot of people think. And like you said, I think it's going to have to be clicking early on here if Purdue wants to get out of the gate quickly. It's a big month, John. Four out of five games in September at home. And I think Purdue's got to be at least three and two when the calendar flips from September to October. When you look at Hudson Card, is it a good feeling knowing the skill position players that he has to work with? Because, as I mentioned, I think it's going to be necessary, and especially in this game on Saturday, for them to score uh, a lot of points because you just you don't know yet how this defense is going to respond. But do you like the makeup of these skill position players that Hudson Card has to work with this year? Yeah, again, they're looking for that alpha receiver. I think Deion Burks, number four, is going to be that alpha receiver. Um, T.J. Sheffield, number eight, a guy to watch, too. Now, I did mention the number one tight end, Garrett Miller, will not play Saturday, which is a big blow. That's a big deal. Uh, he's, a, he's a pro. He's the best pro prospect on the team, and he's still getting over a knee injury. They're being very cautious with him. So Hudson Carr will not have him at his disposal, so that's going to be a big minus. But, yeah. I still think there may be enough there. But, again, Fresno State, like I said, well-coached. they got a very sage defensive coordinator, a guy named Kevin Coyle, who's been in the NFL for years, too. So, you know, they've studied all the Illinois tape to, to learn about this defense. You know, they've also studied all of Graham Harrell's tape from West Virginia and USC. They're going to know what Purdue wants to do. And, and, and as these things usually go, John, it's going to come down to which team probably makes the fewest mistakes and actually who, uh, who executes the best, too. What kind of crowd – are you expecting? I have not seen anything yet. Is is it sold out? Is that the expectation? Not, not not a sellout. I was at the Ryan Walters show last night down at the Union talking to some people with the program, and they, they don't expect to sell out. In fact, over 50,000 fans. They just announced this last week to the new capacity of the renovated Rossi Stadium. 61,441, I believe, was the total. So a little bit less than they had before. So, yeah. Uh, not a sellout, but they expect a good, robust crowd. It should be hopefully a day sort of like today, nice and sunny and clear, but not overly hot. Uh, again, you, you, you want to start one and if you're if you're Purdue, yeah. John. You got you got a trip to Virginia Tech on the heels of this game, right? You don't want to go to Blacksburg 0 and 1, and you want to keep the honeymoon going for at least one more week if you're if you're Ryan Walters at Purdue too. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't think that'd be too endearing to anybody if you come out and lay one, right? And at home in your first game. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, again, you, you go back to the Vegas odds makers. This this game opened up with, with about a six and a half point favorite, and I think they're down to about a three point favorite now. So uh, anybody that knows college football knows about Fresno State. They know the history of this program. They know about Jeff Tedford. So this is not an ideal. Uh, program and coach to try to make your debut against i don't think i, I mentioned this too pressure on the quarterback I, I, there's so many yeah. unknowns defensively but that is something that is major we can talk about the back end of that defense too but uh they're going to be capable of putting consistent pressure on the quarterback yeah, yeah real quick and again that's that 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 like the offensive line 
uh, was, was the one unit on offense that underwent the most change. It probably has the most questions. It's the secondary on defense or the cornerback spot in particular. Every player on the two deep at cornerback is either a transfer or a true freshman. So sort of giving you an idea of some of the turnover back there. And not a lot of depth. If, if they get down to the number three cornerback, it's a junior college transfer. And the number four cornerback is a true freshman. So they got to keep those two, two top cornerbacks healthy. So it's going to be imperative for that front to get some heat so those D-backs don't have to play a lot of extended coverage. And I do think the strength of that defense, John, is the front, especially the outside linebackers. Nick Scourton, number five, Kydren Jenkins and Corday Sidman. they got some guys that can bring the heat off the edge. And they're going to have to do so if this defense wants to have some success, I think, against this new quarterback at Fresno. Yeah, Fresno State, Virginia Tech on the 9th, the 16th, yeah. it's it's Syracuse. And then, uh, obviously, Big Ten play on the 22nd against 19th-ranked Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not a lot of gimme in those first mm-hmm. four right there in Purdue land. Yeah, you got, like I said, you got, you got five games, four at home. You got to be at least three and two. Man, if you lose Saturday, then you lose at Virginia Tech. Obviously, you don't want to be 0-2 coming home, having to win all three of those games. The Syracuse game is a sellout. It's at night. Of course, the Wisconsin game is a Friday night game on Fox. That's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, September 30th at home is homecoming against Illinois. Yeah. The storylines write themselves there. That's going to be the day, too, John, that they dedicate the Tiller Tunnel. Joe Tiller's widow, Arnett Tiller, will be in town with a lot of his family members. So, yeah, that's going to be a big game, too, a lot of emotion. So, then here again, sadly, here, speaking of uh, emotion, the honorary captain is going to be Mike Allstott, the A-train. I think nice. he's going to have people fired. Too bad he can't suit up, too, right? <laughs> that's, that's nice right there. So, that is, that is well done. Sounds like it's going to be a good party up there on Saturday, too. Should be. I always like day games. I know a lot of fans don't like them and cuts in on the tailgating. But yeah, I think we're all happy the season's here, right? Uh, tonight there's some good games. That that Minnesota Nebraska game is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Of course, Utah, Florida, and we're off and away, my friend. And uh, we're going to look up. It'll be December. Talking about bowl games. So yeah, it's it's a great time of year with with, with football really hitting its. Uh, about ready to hit first gear and get going. How's uh, how's Zach doing with uh, Team Canada? Doing pretty good. You know, he's supposed to be back here soon, uh, obviously. And they'll be starting practices. I know Ethan Morton's trying to get healthy. And uh, they got some recruits in for visits here, I know, this weekend, some some juniors. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, the excitement continues to bubble here uh, with the hoop team, too. Uh, so, of course, that'll be front and center before I know it, too. So Tom Dean Hart of Golden Black Illustrated getting you set for a Boilermaker Saturday with uh, Fresno State in town. And again, man, those first four, you even look further than that with Iowa, Ohio State. Uh, you you got to be ready and ready to go right here and right now. So it's tough. You know, they had a tough schedule with Ohio State and Michigan both on the schedule. Ohio State comes to Purdue. The Boilermakers have to go to Ann Arbor. So that just sort of complicates what Ryan Walters is trying to get done here this year. Just a tough schedule. Did you watch the volleyball game with 90-plus thousand last night in Lincoln? <laughs> Just very little glimpses of it. I mean, what a, what a sight, right? Wow. You, yeah. What more can you say? I, I would say every time I go to Lincoln, I fall in love. I mean, they, they worship their athletes out there. I mean, that would be the place to be an athlete. Uh, they, they think you walk on water, and I, I'm always amazed by the support they give all their sports in uh, you know at Nebraska. So would you 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 would dig a move to Lincoln? You, oh, I you would, would move I to Nebraska? I love I love going to Lincoln. I love that downtown, the Haymarket. It's 
it's great. You know, like I said, they, they worship at the altar of Cornhusker Athletics, and, and Rankin has become a really cool town, too. Well, look out. Golden Black <laughs> Illustrated. I, I don't know who not, the parent is. It's not, it's not West Lafayette, John. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. It's not West Lafayette. Hey, you guys have a Raising Canes there. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Raising Canes. Of course, we got all the traditional places, Triple X and Bruno's and Arnie's. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you yeah. what. That, that, that area by the hill over there is so nice now. So nice. Building two more dorms. But the one thing. I miss from back in my days the old Garcia's Pizza right there. Oh, don't get Mall. me started, brother! I love Garcia. You know yeah, I have, I have a Garcia's Pizza plastic beer pitcher down at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now, now you're a real man of my heart, and only you got that. So yeah, I was. I love walking in that place and smelling that pizza, getting a slice, sitting up by a window and watching people walk by. Did you get a gut buster back then too? Oh yeah, two oh. gut busters and then a Coca Cola. Man, let me tell and, you. Uh, I thought that was, to me that was fine dining, John. That was fine dining. I've never understood. They always called themselves, or at least for a time, Las Vegas style pizza. I never really understood that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but it's I better than I, Detroit style pizza, which is Little Caesars. So yeah. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but they were always home of the Flying Tomato Brothers. Oh, I love the flying. Know. That's J- Ralph yeah, and Joe. Tomato. Ralph yeah. and Joe. You know, and in Bloomington, they you know they Bloomington's kind of like a home of hot air balloons, right? But uh, they always had a hot air balloon. I guess it was a hot air balloon race yeah. or something. They would always have a hot air balloon for Garcia's Pizza. They had one, and you know what? The last Garcia's I remember seeing was at Champagne. It is still there. It is still still there. there. Yeah, it is still there. So we'd we'd have to make that road trip to Champagne to go to a Garcia's. I I loved it. I would go there any any time, whenever. I'd go hang out, you know, right off of IU's campus, right there at uh, Indiana and Kirkwood, Kirkwood area where Kilroy's is and Spaceport was and the Von Lee had all that action going on. But, man, the centerpiece of that was Garcia's. So missed. And, and the one, the one place I've wanted to go to in Bloomington I've never been is uh, is it Mama Bears? Uh, Mother Bears. Mother Bears. Mother Bears Pizza. Mother Bears is great, buddy. I've heard a lot about that. I've got a pizza. I've got a gyro at the at the Greek place at the other corner was was really good too. But that's that's a great town. You know, I, for for a Purdue guy, I have to admit, man. Kirkwood Avenue, that whole that whole square. Ah, it's changed nice. a great deal. Nice. Uh, changed a great deal, and oftentimes it has not changed for the better. But there are still so many great spots that hold true yeah. to the memories of twenty and thirty and forty years ago. Yeah. It is an awesome spot down there, even if you're a Boilermaker fan, even if you're a Boilermaker backer. I, I could admit it's it's a lot of fun. I I, love, I just love checking out college campuses, and that's. That's a beautiful one with a lot of nice, nice places to eat. Tom Dean Hart at Golden Black Illustrated. There's still one Garcia's open. That's in Champaign, Illinois, <laughs> near and dear to our heart. All right, yeah. enjoy that game on Saturday. We'll check in again soon. Take care, buddy. Be good.